Hey friends, Michael Carey here and welcome back to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm really excited to share this first episode of a three-part series. Now, we compiled a list of questions from men in our Men in the Battle community for women who are in recovery to answer. Now, we have three professionals who I was able to interview one of them being my wife, and all three of these women are professionals in the industry helping women who have been through sexual betrayal trauma. Now, if you're a man or a woman uh, in recovery, or if you're not in recovery, if you're a ministry leader, uh, I think that everyone, all of you, are going to benefit from listening to this series. First, um, just like to ask each of you if you would introduce yourself and uh, what is your connection with Living Truth and with this podcast? My name is Corey. Um, I have known Kristen since my 20s, since we were both in our 20s. We've worked together in ministry and been friends for a long time. And I am on the staff of Living Truth with Michael and Kristen. I was so glad when they started this up because. Um, I have my own story and I received so much healing and recovery through women in the battle. And it is also an outlet now for me to link arms with other leaders and other women and men who want to help people recover with this issue. I feel like this issue of sexual addiction and the betrayal that goes with it is a pandemic. And I actually used that word before there was an actual pandemic, but I really do think I I am um, and counseling intern now working with students, and I see that this is the issue of the day. This is the coping mechanism of the day, and um, so I feel like the shame needs to lower around this subject, and people need to be able to talk about it and get help. So I'm I'm proud to be part of that group of people who are talking about this issue. My name is Julie Sanand, and I've known Corey and Kristen for the last few years. And the impact on my life has been huge. Um, I heard uh, Kristen speak at a women's retreat and Corey led one of my first women's groups that I attended. I have background in nursing. And after my husband and I went through our own story and um, therapeutic disclosure, I decided to go back to school for my life coach certificate and ABSATS training and CSASE training. Um, and I founded the New England Betrayal Trauma Conference and New England Coaching Services. And you lead a women in the battle group in New Hampshire. Yes. <laughs> Did you say that already? I don't think so. Okay. So this is Kristen Carey, and I am just so grateful for Corey and Julie and the partnership that we have with each other and getting to impact women's lives together with these fabulous women. So, um, I am the co-founder of Living Truth with Michael and uh, founder of Women in the Battle. And so this is part of my own personal journey and story as I went through a divorce due to sexual addiction 14 and a half years ago. All right. Well, thank you, ladies, in advance for taking uh, your time out of your schedule and participating in this podcast. This is going to be some incredible information. Um, So... Launching into the questions here, the first question is uh, has, carries a lot of weight to it here. How important is the full sexual disclosure and polygraph to you in order to really begin the healing of a marriage? 
First, I'd like to comment that it's usually called a full therapeutic disclosure. These are questions that were submitted by men. Um, so that verbiage, I just wanted to adjust if somebody hears the term full therapeutic disclosure, I think that's what this person is asking. Right, and so yeah, the language that uh, is used might not be exactly what we use in the professional uh, arena here, but that is the question. So I can go ahead and answer that question. Um, my husband and I went through our own full therapeutic disclosure and I fell in love with the process because I saw how much fruit could come out of it. So I find it extremely important. Um, and I've started doing facilitating full therapeutic disclosures all over the country. I have five going right now with different counselors and coaches. And um, we've written out a full plan for couples that starts them off with coaching, takes them through the process, and then follows them after. And I can't say enough about the importance. In Dan Drake and Janice Cottle's books, they talk about how 90% um, of couples that go through full therapeutic disclosure uh, benefited from that guidance. And that 81% um, said that the benefit outweighed the harm. And of course, we'd love to say 100%, but we don't have any formulas to fix these situations. And there's no way to predict the trajectory of how it will go. But the willingness of both parties is extremely important and helpful. Can you also just share what, what is a therapeutic, a full therapeutic disclosure? Because there may be some of our listeners who they, they're not familiar with this concept at all. Sure. So when you become addicted to something, a lot of times um, in the back scene, there's, there's something like a waffle brain where you have a space or a box that contains your addiction. And the other space or boxes contain other things that you love. And you try to keep those separate and walled off. But what that does is it can tear you apart as a person. Um, and the way that people try to keep those things separate is through lies and manipulation. It's not always intentional. Sometimes it's something they're not even aware of. But what happens with full therapeutic disclosure is you write out your full history sexually, whatever that other person wants from you. Not necessarily everything, but what your wife wants, because that's the most important thing. She needs to feel safe again. And so um, you disclose that information in one complete sit down. So it eliminates those um, durable disclosures that can lead up to that point. And that pain is just prolonged for her. So this is one sit down and it's followed up by a polygraph. Um, and the benefits, I have a couple of lists going for partners and for addicts. So for the spouse, um, she gets a baseline of truth it can help reestablish trust and encourage steps towards renewed intimacy, um, reduces traumatic stressors of the unknown, can break the trickle-down disclosures, establishes safety. She can start to deal with what she now knows. And I've heard it said, I know Jake says this, that to ask someone to forgive what they don't know is a form of spiritual abuse. And so for the person taking the, dis the polygraph and giving the disclosure, it's establishing a baseline of truth. It's providing a gateway for honesty. Sometimes for them, it's the first time they've ever experienced what it feels like to be fully truthful, um, to clean out their conscience. And one of the neatest things that I see is when those two waffle pieces open up and they become one, it brings that person back together. And it's interesting how even the Bible, when you break a covenant, they would cut the animal in two and walk down between. 
and they would say, well, if I break this covenant with you, so be it to me that this happens to me. And so often when people are acting out in addiction, they're acting like two people um, going in different directions. And so it brings them back together to become a whole authentic person who, who's capable of healthy intimacy. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, that's a really, really great description and, and the benefits. Um, and what uh, some of the things that I wanted to point out too in uh, some of the counselor speak and things that we use um, in most cases in our ministry sector, in our industry, uh, the, the man is the one that's um, committing the sexual sin, if you will, the adultery, the pornography and so on. And, and his wife, you know, is experiencing betrayal from that. So uh, the terms addict and partner um were developed because sometimes, of course, it is the opposite, and the woman is having an affair, and her husband is the one who is experiencing the betrayal trauma. So that's that's the uh, the interchangeable terms uh, without any kind of pronoun, uh, addict and partner, where that came from. Uh, to to just piggyback on that, when it comes to um, in the Bible and, and scriptural breaking a covenant, I think it's important for you to. Uh, in the in, in the framework of a confession, um, at the very least, she needs to know all the ways that you took your sexuality outside of the marriage, you know. And some guys do attempt to to um, do that themselves, you know. They 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 uh, confess some things, and that's uh, what you talked about, Julie. And the trickle out is usually the way that it comes out. So much better. It's more healing. It's it's so. So much uh, more tolerable, I guess, for us for, for a spouse to hear that all in one sitting, even though it is very tough uh, meeting, right? What would you comment on that? All in one sitting, yeah. but also to have it followed up by a polygraph, because right. that polygraph verifies to her there are no more secrets, there's no more bombs that are going to be dropped in my lap. And in the presence of um, people who are trained to do a therapeutic disclosure so that they know how to help manage the inevitable trauma that's gonna be involved with that day. Yeah, and it's not about you purging. It's about answering what she needs to feel safe again. And if you need to purge for your own recovery, you can do that with your counselor and even write a separate one. I have one couple right now and she only wants a partial disclosure. That's what she can handle right now and she's requesting that. Um, and there's, there's a great new tool called iDetect, and it's 90% accurate. Um, and it's a lie detector that reads the fluctuation in your pupils. So, Thanks for that. Um, so moving on now to the next question. Uh, it reads this. One of the men said his wife didn't want to hear him say he was sorry. She wanted him to make amends. So his question is, what does that mean? What does amends or making amends mean? And and the idea, uh, why would he? Why, why would she say, "I don't want to hear you say I'm sorry"? I can answer that one. So this is amends are actions that are taken to demonstrate life change. Um, apologies or saying I'm sorry are words. So maybe if we can think about it that way, like. The difference between actions and words and I can very well remember feeling like I don't want to hear I'm sorry anymore um, I think what happens when you are betrayed or when you know if you've been in an addictive lifestyle 
you know where your lines were, you know when you've told the truth and when you haven't, um, but your partner does not. So essentially words become meaningless. Um, words don't mean anything. And it's likely if there have been, um, if there has been acting out and discovery, acting out discovery, um, you've probably said I'm sorry a lot of times. So I think switching the idea of, of saying I'm sorry, you might feel sorry, but I think often at the beginning, um, many people are sorry because they were caught or they're sorry that they've been discovered. But sometimes being able to say you're sorry to your partner who you've hurt or to your children or to your families, sometimes it takes some time to actually really mean that. Um, to get beyond the sorry of getting caught and really mean that you're sorry. And so um, your words have lost their meaning and your spouse needs to see action. And I think that's that's what she is saying here. Um, she needs to see that your values start to line up with what you say again. And often in addiction, you know, there's a life where you're living, you have values about your sexuality or about anything we're addicted to. And your actions aren't lining up with your values. So over time, and I don't know really how you can avoid the time part of it at all, um, over time, as your behaviors start to match your words, um, your partner's going to see that. Um, a couple ways that my husband made amends to me in the process, I mean, I think, Staying sober, getting in a group and having sobriety is a great way to make amends. Um, that is difficult to have sobriety. Um, going along with that, um, when my husband did slip or use pornography, um, he told me within 24 hours and that built trust. So even if he did and he told me within 24 hours, that was helpful to me. Um, recovery is different from sobriety and recovery is a process of, of healing in such a way that sobriety becomes easier because the reasons that you were going to that coping mechanism in the first place are starting to heal. So it takes time to recover, but if you're in a recovery process, that is a great way to make amends. You know, making your calls, going to a meeting, showing your partner that you're serious about your own recovery and over time recovery will help sobriety to be easier. Um, in the meantime, I just had a couple examples um, when I had first found out um, a very tangible amend that my husband made was we went through the disclosure that Julie talked about and it really did help me to have a baseline of truth that made me able to move forward and trust that process even when I couldn't trust him yet. But in that disclosure came out the amount of money that he had spent on his addiction. And he gave me that amount and I um, went on a trip with it, with my kids. And that, that was an amend. That was like an action that said he, that said he was sorry. And it kind of a promise, like I am gonna work on this. I'm gonna take it seriously. Um, he also put my car in my name because it made me feel safer. He eventually put our house in my name because it made me safer. And so while we were in the process of him going through recovery and sobriety, and it took time for me to trust him again fully, 
to fully open my heart and our home to him, he was doing tangible things along the way that were costly for him. Those were costly things for him to do. I mean, literally, financially costly for him. But also it was a, he was showing me that he was broken and open and willing and non-defensive. And so, um, uh, yeah, just your words don't matter right now. It's your behavior. Anything you can do to heal is going to help her. And I, and he'll, she'll see it, you know, you don't have to fake it and you actually can't fake it, but if you put the work into it, she will see it. One thing that's so incredible about your story, Corey, is the fact that you persevered and your husband persevered for four years. You guys were separated and working on rebuilding, right? And uh -huh. so for those guys out there that are like, when is my wife going to forgive me? And how long is this going to take? Um, I, I don't know that you ever got pressure from your uh -huh. husband. No, he was patient with you as you were patient with him because everybody's story is unique and it can take a while, but boy, has it paid off for you, right? Yeah, perseverance and patience it has it has paid off, and I so appreciate his perseverance. You know, we all, we had to have different groups of support through that time for sure, but there came a time when his recovery became about him. And that was life-changing for both of us because, you know, at, at the beginning, it's often it's to save what you don't want to lose. But I think a, a, an addict has to come to the point to realize that they are worth saving. Even if my marriage doesn't make it, even if whatever, I'm worth saving. I'm, I'm made for more than this. I don't have to keep living like this. And I think when he did that and realized whether or not I'm able to save my family, I... I'm worth saving. And he did his work for that reason. And I could tell the difference. And it's not a checklist because at the beginning, I think often um, an addict wants to say, give me a checklist and I'll mark it off. And it's just, that doesn't work. Um, you can't fake true life change. So there's just no getting beyond doing it for yourself at some point, whatever happens with your marriage. And you're worth that. Everybody's worth that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the idea of having a goal to save your marriage, you know, uh, where does a person uh, stand once, once their spouse is committed and, and you know, their, their marriage in their mind is saved, then what do they do? Are they going to stop changing? Are they going to stop growing? And, you know, really, I, you know, I, I think that um, the path of life just involves growth and change. And, and maturity. So I think that that's what we're all supposed to do regardless. So entering into that for the rest of your life is, is actually, um, uh, well, I call it sanctification, you know, and it's just becoming who we're supposed to be anyways. So yeah, that idea of, of, uh, dropping recovery or stopping, you know, the, the, the course of life change is, um, ridiculous, but, um, thinking back to amends too, um, I, I think uh, some of that comes from the story of Zacchaeus too. Just, just in pointing out the scripture background is that uh, you know he was a tax collector and Jesus uh, approached him and he said that um, I'm going to give, I'm going to basically pay back everything that I stole and uh, I'm going to give twice as much to the, to the poor. And so the the idea uh, Jesus said salvation has come to you this day. The idea is. 
the heart change behind it, not necessarily the act itself, but but the heart change, you know, mm-hmm. being uh, willing to say this person is more important than any of my money or possessions or whatever it is, right? Because people are more important. So that's the kind of heart change that really needs to happen behind amends. So I love the way you said that uh, checking a box is not making amends, <laughs> but the heart change is really, really what's uh uh, what's necessary and you can tell right that's um interesting so next question what do i do when my wife doesn't see the need to seek help for herself okay i'm going to answer this one this is Kristen. uh okay so it's very common for wives to feel really angry at the idea that they may need to get their own help that is when you're a busy wife, mom, you have a career, whatever your life is, most of us lead pretty full busy lives. And even if we're not busy, the last thing we want to do is have to go to a meeting or counseling or coaching to deal with somebody else's problem. But what I like to liken it to, this issue of betrayal trauma is so confusing to many people, partly because it affects us on every level and we don't even know what's happening to us. It's like getting hit in a head-on collision and your car spinning out and being thrown into a ditch and you come to and have no idea what just happened. That is a lot of what this is like. And so I like to use actual physical analogies like the car wreck example I just gave to explain here's what's going on. So if you are driving your car and your husband hits you head-on in this type of a collision, even though it was his fault, he was drinking and driving or he was texting and driving and he crossed and hit you, even though it was his fault um, that that accident happened, it would be your responsibility to do something about it once you get out of the emergency room and are stable. Now in the beginning, yeah, you're just gonna be rushed to the hospital, but your journey of whether you're gonna go get physical therapy to learn to walk again and all these types of things is, your responsibility. Now it sucks and you're going to have to grieve. You're going to have to feel angry that this happened to you. It's an injustice. Um, so one, one thing I want a guy to understand is to have compassion for his wife. If she doesn't want to get help, that's very common that a wife doesn't want to have to get help because her perspective in that moment is this is his problem. Why should I need to get help? But what I would say to a wife is, it's, it's his problem, but it has deeply impacted you. And so if you, some women, it takes until they start to really feel the impact of it and how it's coming out sideways in the way they treat their children, in their ability to sleep or self-regulate when they're upset, that, that it, sometimes it takes until that time for them to realize, oh my gosh, this really is affecting me to the point where I can't ignore it. Um, but uh, no man can convince his wife that she needs to seek her own help. In fact, a lot of times if a man is really irritated that his wife is so angry and so frustrated and his go-to is, well, you need to get your own help, that can feel really shaming to a wife. Like instead of accepting that what he has done has impacted her so deeply that she's going to be angry regardless of whether she gets help or not, If he doesn't own that and accept that he cannot make her go get help, um, there's just going to be, I feel like, a a loop of frustration in that relationship. 
And so without pressuring her at all, what I would encourage you to do is, for example, ask her to listen to this podcast or get on the Living Truth Facebook page, which is Living Truth 61, or our Instagram page, Living Truth 61. And there is a video that I did about the three C's, about the fact that the, as a wife, you didn't cause it, you can't control it, you can't cure it, but how it has impacted you deeply. Um, sometimes when a wife hears another woman who's gone through this describe her experience, it's like a light bulb going on, like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And so um, being exposed to those types of experiences can be a first step for a wife saying, yeah, you know what, this is something I need to do for myself. Even if she wrestles with the frustration of having to put one more thing in her schedule, it is, it is necessary for most women to seek their own help. Can I add to that, Kristen? Of course. I love everything you said and echo that. I, I think that um, another thing is that sometimes women aren't ready for the group dynamic and knowing mm -hmm. that there's coaches and counselors. Um, and also if there are women listening to this and they're just feeling so heightened and triggered and unsafe that they can't even imagine reaching out for help. There are certain brain therapies that you can start with. Um, brain spotting is one that I'm getting trained in right now. But EMDR and brain spotting can help take some of the trauma and debulk it so that your quality of life can improve and some of the reactivity that you might feel like you have very little control over can start to, to um, defuse a little bit. And also neurofeedback can build new connections that can help as well. Yeah, that's really good. Sometimes when a woman's not ready for group work, she's ready to do something one-on-one -on -one or one of those types of, of therapies that Julie mentioned. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Very helpful. And um, I, I, I know just guys going and doing their own work and their wife seeing them transform and seeing them change, you know, uh, the just uh, I think the impact that that can also have it's definitely going to be beneficial and, and help the situation as well. So being committed back to what we talked about earlier, committed to your own personal growth and, and change and transformation and how you uh, handle your wife. So, so important. Friends, I'm so glad that you got to join us today for this first of a three-part series. Stay tuned over the next two weeks for the next two parts of this series and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes and go ahead and hit the um, stars and give us a rating if you would we'd really appreciate that as well 